What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Today, our special guest is Lars Gerobrink Nielsen, co-founder of This Is Learning, writer, speaker, FOSS maintainer, Microsoft MVP and author of Accelerating Angular Development with Ivy. By the way, this is the book we are going to talk about now. So let's start the show. Hi Lars, how are you today? Hey Derek, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. Okay, Lars, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, you mentioned um, all the many things in my, my bio. Uh, actually, I just added one more item to that list. I was just accepted as a GitHub star as well. So that's that's great. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, so let's start talk about your new, very, very new book. Who is your book for? Um, it's for the experienced Angular developer. So I think that's that's a very interesting approach and one that I came up with. It was my idea to make a book like that uh, because I wanted to write a book that I would buy myself, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good idea. <laughs> so the so only problem is I had to in invest the hundreds and or if not thousands of hours to writing it <laughs> to get the book that I would buy myself. Uh, yeah, that's that's the best idea to writing a book. Uh, uh, let me tell you, I, I learned so much by writing this book. Uh, but yeah, the, the main idea is uh, you're already familiar with Angular but you might not have paid attention to the, the latest features in versions 9 to 12. So, uh, so to sum up, how did you come up with the idea for this for your book? I was contacted by Pact Publishing. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. They asked me to write a book about Ivy, but it would be like a broad introduction to Angular. And... Um, I mean, there's a lot of good books like that, but I wanted to take the approach of you already know the basics of Angular components, services, all of that. And you just want to catch up with what's the latest. Uh, what are the new things I can do and how do I upgrade my app from view engine to Ivy and what's the recommended manual migrations and what's the new developer tools and Ivy, things like that. So, yeah. Uh, this was the idea I proposed back to, to Pack Publishing, that instead of doing the introduction to Angular, uh, Angular Ivy, it would be this book for the experienced Angular developers. Okay. I, I really like this idea. And I'm looking forward to read this book. By the way, when is the release date? It's... Uh... By the end of September, we're currently in September, so very soon, right? Sorry, can you repeat uh, when? It is uh, before the end of September, so very soon. Okay, it's very soon, yeah. Uh, how did you plan the topics of your book? So I thought that writing this book would be too much for me alone. So I went looking for a co-author uh, and I ended up with a a person I know, 
um, and he helped me plan the topics. We went through the change logs of Ivy and, and Angular versions and uh, different articles I wrote in the past and decided which topics are going to be the most interesting for the most uh, experienced uh, or the most amount of experienced Angular developers. I mean, there, there's actually a lot of stuff once you go into the details, but what would be the most interesting to the biggest crowd of Angular developers? Um, so he helped me come up with the ideas and we made a plan for the book and, and send that back to a review with Pact. And uh, they ended up liking the idea as well. They, um, they planned for three parts in the book. That was their idea. The first part is about introducing some of these new features in Angular and TypeScript and tooling. The second part is then applying all of that in practice by taking a sample real-world Angular application and adding new features using new APIs and new techniques introduced only in Ivy. So that's a practical hands-on approach in this four um, chapters in the second part of this book. And then the third one is about migrating View Engine to Ivy and all the new developer tooling and developer workflows and, and ahead-of-time compilation, Angular compatibility compiler, uh, debugging at runtime. So a lot of just development workflows and and things where we, we all need when working with with large Angular applications. Okay, awesome. Mm. Um, yeah. How is your book structured? Yeah, I guess I just described it, that it's three parts. Each part has four chapters. Yeah. And um, at the beginning... Uh, there's an introduction to what, what we'll be discussing in this chapter. Then there's a technical sections on which versions you need at a minimum to use all the features in each chapter. And maybe the link to the, the GitHub repo. There's a GitHub repo uh, open source uh, for this book. And I think right now there's 11 apps in there uh, so that you can try it all out uh, by following along in the book and, and try again, trying it on uh, trying to write these applications yourself, and you can see the end result here in the Git repo. Uh, then there's the main content, and uh, finally a conclusion on the chapter discussing what did we learn and what are we going to learn in the next chapter. Okay, so what is a good writing to you? Yeah, I I started doing. Uh, articles um, a few years ago. So that's where I have the most experience. Of course, now uh, this past year, I've been focusing on writing the book and uh, actually also writing some documentation for Angular libraries. So that's been interesting. I've also been reviewing and editing other people's articles. Um, so what is good writing? I try to apply three different key techniques or parts uh, to my writing. And one is the theory of whatever is being discussed, especially when introducing new APIs or new techniques. So it's a bit of theory where you go up on a higher level of extraction before digging into the code, because that's the second part is, is having uh, code. Some people just prefer to look at the samples or when you are coming back to the article or the book, you're looking for that piece of code. The third part is... Uh, Visual learning, so having some sort of a, a diagram to express the topics being introduced or how the code is structured on a high level 
or even an architectural uh, level. Um, it's very difficult to come up with, uh, but that is very helpful because a picture says more than a thousand words. So coming back to the article, you can have a quick reminder of what is this concept about. And I, I managed to do that in some of the chapters, uh, like making simple charts for the, the different uh, abstractions in the code. And, and something so that we can see what's going on um, while reading the book. Yeah. Okay, well said. So, uh, which new Angular APIs are covered in your book? Yeah, I'm trying to remember all of it. It's, it's so much at this point. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, I don't have a list, um, so I'll just say whatever I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, first part is about new language features in TypeScript in the recent versions used for uh, the latest versions of Angular. There's a few uh, ones that I found very interesting, like knowledge coalesce, coalescing operator and the optional chaining operator. And those are the two that stand out the most to me, especially because they can be combined when you're working with nested data structures. So those are really nice additions and we couldn't use them with uh, the view engine because each version of Angular is tied to one, two or three specific versions of TypeScript. <clears throat> um, we are also covering the a few additions to a testing API. There's uh, especially stronger typing that you'll notice. There's a, a, a few deprecated APIs. So you should switch over to this, the ones with stronger typing. Uh, there's a, actually a few additions to TypeScript as well that are uh, very useful to testing. And uh, there's one where uh, you really want to make your API bulletproof. So you add this uh, annotation in a TypeScript comment that says TS expect error. And that tells the compiler that the next line of code is supposed to make a type error because you want to test what if it's not a number that's being passed to this function or whatever. What if it's a, a string instead? And um, this is the test case testing that exceptional scenario. But if there's not a type error, then the code or the test itself is actually. Uh, not acting as it's supposed to. So it will work in both ways. It will allow you to uh, make a type error intentionally, uh, which you would usually do in the tests only. And it will fail if all of a sudden it's not a type error. So someone loosened the type's strictness, uh, which you should only do intentionally, right? So that, that's very interesting for testing. Uh, we're also discussing how the Angular testing APIs have become faster uh, in these late, latest iterations of, of Angular. Um, yeah, that, that's what I remember from, that's just the first chapter, and there are 12 chapters in this book, right? Okay. The first four chapters are just introducing a lot of goodness uh, from, from Angular 9 to 12. Um, a few other interesting ones are um, the new provider scopes. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. The platform provider scope and the any provider scope. So those are very interesting 
they were added without much of an announcement to Angular. And yeah, I've been looking at them for a while. Uh, Santosh Yadav wrote an article about it and I uh, helped review it. Um, and I went digging even further. Uh, he also wrote the documentation in Angular for these APIs. But I, I went looking like, what is a good use case for the, these new provider scopes and how that applies to injectors? Uh, where would they be useful? And then I came up with uh, examples that you, you'll build yourself or you can look at the, the Git repository uh, for the full code. Um, so for good use cases and giving you a good sense of how it affects your application when using these provider scopes. Yeah. Okay, so next question is about the uh, new Angular Turing covered in your book. Hmm. Um, well, there is actually one more feature that I find very interesting. Uh, that is how you can use CSS custom properties with Angular. That was accidentally added to Angular Ivy so that we can bind to CSS custom properties, but it's not clear how because it's not documented. So <laughs> but we, we managed to find a good few interesting examples for that in, in the book. And yeah, there's even more features, uh, but let's discuss that some other time. There's tons of new, uh, nice features that you can use for many, many interesting things. Yeah. So tooling, you asked. Um, well, we, we covered some of the testing tooling. Uh, there's uh, the new uh, runtime debugging API. The old one was ng-probe. And now we have a, like a half a dozen or more functions that we can use when Angular is running in development mode. And actually one was just introduced in Angular 12.0. And I was just doing the final draft for the, there's an entire chapter in part three, just about the debugging APIs and how you can use that on a sample application. So I just added that latest uh, function about um, inspecting metadata of a component or directive. Uh, so yeah, everything's covered uh, up to date as a version 12. Um, so that's that's interesting. That's one part of the tooling. The other one is the Angular compatibility compiler. It is going away pretty soon, but <laughs> in some organizations, you're stuck on older versions of Angular. So it's still here in version 12, probably also in version 13. Who knows when it will be finally turned off. So there's techniques for optimizing the compatibility compiler, both locally and on a CI server, every useful option is described and uh, recommended uh, parameters for the fastest possible compatibility compilation for your project. And that actually, that has a huge impact. You can go from minutes to seconds in every CI run. Wow, yes, that's amazing. How about automating testing, automated testing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we also cover component harnesses, uh, which is an API from Angular CDK. And there are official component harnesses for Angular material and the Angular CDK components. So we discuss what they are and how they're used. And uh, in the second part, you'll be writing your own component harnesses as well for your custom components. So you get um, like different perspectives on on this new uh, way of testing. 
So that that's quite interesting and also something that hasn't been covered uh, a lot, but it's going to be very important uh, soon because Angular Material is getting a big uh, revamp. Uh, they're called Angular Material Experimental Packages right now, but they're basically merging Angular Material with, uh, well, merging, not merging, they're going to wrap the uh, material design components for web, the ones that are not framework specific. They're going to be using their styles and, and adapters um, behind the scenes, behind the Angular Material components. That will uh, force a change in the structure, the internal structure of the Angular Material components. And that will, could break a lot of your tests. Unless you're using the component harnesses, then you'll be good. Uh, it won't affect your tests. So very interesting topic to be aware of and, and how you can both use them from Angular Material. Also, how you can make your own for your own components. Yeah. So the next question is, what's your favorite recent Angular feature? Yeah, the favorite one. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the CSS custom properties binding is, is very, very interesting. Um, it's difficult to, to find specific use cases for them because there are so many. Uh, so I hope that's something we'll see a lot more of once these techniques uh, start to spread. Uh, I think it's more about it hasn't been covered a lot in, in documentation or articles or talks at conferences and so on. That's an interesting API that the combination of the native CSS variables, basically, and Angular data binding. So that's, that's one of my favorite uh, features in Ivy. And another one is the the new provider scopes. And, and I don't know which one is my favorite because they, do, they both have a lot of potential. The, the, the any provider scope can be useful for configurations um, and the platform provider scope can be interesting for micro frontends and web components. And that's something that's very uh, trendy right now these years, right? Exactly, hmm. exactly, awesome. Uh, what's your favorite recent TypeScript feature. Yeah, I must say that it's it's uh, the knowledge coalescing and the optional chaining operators. I'm, I'm just using them more and more, um, and you can combine them with uh, object and array destructuring, uh, even in parameters of a function, and that makes JavaScript into a very powerful mapping language. You can do more kind of a declarative declarative mapping, uh, remove a lot of noise in the bodies of your function by um, doing a lot of mapping in your parameters when you're working with uh, complex data structures, uh, which you are sometimes when you're using a third-party API or one that you don't control yourself, or just working with large business documents and, and objects. So they are very useful to my uh, a lot of my day daytime jobs. You said you spent a lot of hours creating your book. What was your writing process like? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that I wrote a pretty good article about Angular 9 once that was released uh, a while ago by now. So I figured, well, I know 
all of the different new things in Ivy. So it should be no problem to write a book, right? <laughs> the book is now 200 pages and, you know, it's, it's not, well, it's two parts. It's both like writing the content in a nice way that it's not too long and not too short, keeping it interesting, but also researching because this is all new stuff. And I intentionally picked topics that were um, not covered well, both in the documentation and in the community in general, so that you can get a lot of, of unique insights here. I mean, you, you might know about the, the TypeScript operators, but have you seen them applied in combination and in real-world use cases? Uh, so um, I'm trying to come up with really good examples so that you can see how it's used in a business context. Yeah. Okay, so what are you working on these days? Yeah, um, the book is in its final draft, so it's being released, uh, published uh, yeah, before the end of September, and that leaves me with room to do other things. Um, I founded this uh, This Is Learning uh, Foundation or whatever. It's a nonprofit together with Santos Yada. Yeah. And we've just released our first uh, virtual free open learning course on RxJS. It's called RxJS Fundamentals. And very soon we'll be releasing the NGRX Essentials course, which is also free, open source, open to any size contribution. And uh, yeah, it's a very open community that you can come join. So I spent a lot of time on that. And uh, also very interesting, I created a, a testing library for Angular called Spectacular. And um, I like this name. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the only problem about the name is that it's similar to Spectator, which has been around for a longer time and it's also yeah. a great library. But I also like the name so much that I had to, to go with that name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. So the library is, is pretty good for uh, what I, I wanted to release. So I'm just working on the documentation. Um, even today, I, I, I'm writing on the integration with Angular testing library, another uh, very good uh, uh, library for testing Angular applications. So the two of them work very nicely together. And I'm planning a talk on, on Spectacular and maybe combining it with uh, Angular testing library to do what I call feature tests. It's a new approach of testing Angular application. It sits well between the concept of component tests and what we all know as end-to-end -end tests. So it, it has the best of both worlds. Um, so I'm preparing a talk for NG Poland this year about this Looking topic. Looking forward. So so that's going to be great. Yeah. And I, I look forward to, to seeing you again in person. That's going yeah. to be a very good time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward for this. It's, it's um, two years without, you know, seeing our community in person is too long. Yeah. yeah the last conference I visited um, internationally was NG Poland 2019. So, It'll yeah. be two years to the day almost. Uh, and then I'm back at the same uh, very nice conference. So that's going to be uh, such a good feeling. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I have one more question about uh, your bio, about FOSS. 
What is FOSS? Can you explain us? FOSS is the abbreviation for free and open source software. I'm very interested in these days uh, about open source software being more than just open source. There's a whole range of parameters on how open your project is. It's more than just releasing your source code. It's also about opening up the community, allowing people in on, on the governance and having influence on the project and communicating out in the open. And that's something I'm, I'm looking to improve myself. Uh, in my open source projects, I'm maintaining Spectacular. I'm maintaining uh, Lumberjack with a few other uh, nice people. And uh, that's a logging library by, for Angular, by the way. We have a GitHub action for Angular projects. Um, and this new contract I started is actually an open source project. So we're also looking on how we can make that project uh, as open as as uh, basically what makes sense for uh, the use cases and, and the company uh, building this system. Uh, it sounds amazing. Uh, finger crossed. And uh, I hope the Spectacular uh, get a spectacular success. It's, uh, yeah. It must. It must. I hope that uh, NG Poland can open people's eyes to this project. Uh, I think another thing holding it back is it's not in version 1.0. Um, And the only reason is I want to verify which versions work uh, with Spectacular. I don't want a version 11 and a version 12. I just want 1.x, which should work with 9.0 up to version 13. But I want to verify it in, a, in our CI workflow before I release that version one. I want to give you confidence in this library. The features are solid. Choose the version, uh, yeah? Yeah, I want just one major version, version 1.x. Okay which okay. supports all these major versions of yeah. Angular 9 and 10, 11, 12, 13. Okay. The features are solid. I've been using them myself. Um, they integrate well with Angular testing library and component harnesses. So you can, you can feel good about using it today, but I want to give you that guarantee that it definitely works with all those versions of Angular Ivy. Yeah. How the pandemic affect your work? Yeah, I I joined my current employer in uh, the same month I was going to NG Poland. So I had to excuse myself on my first month. Uh, sorry, I'll be gone for almost a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm working as a contractor. I'm a full-time employee myself, but I work on contracts for yeah. different customers through my employer. Uh, so I'm not freelance. I'm, I'm a full-time employee I'm working for other companies, though. Um, so I just started with my employer. I started with a with a nice uh, customer, and then the pandemic hit like three months later, right? And I, yeah, I, I exactly. was barely onboarded to this new company, this new contract, and the project was a brand new platform. Um, so yeah, it was a strange feeling, right? And, and my employer just moved into a big office, and it was just empty every day for. For almost a year, it was just empty almost. There were very few people. And um, Okay, so how did it affect me? Well, I live far away from the, the bigger cities in Denmark. So I'm used to commuting. Uh, like um, at one point, I commuted five hours a day in my own car. 
Uh, these days, it's three and a half hours when I'm going to my office or the customer. Um, so I usually have in my contract that I can work remotely two or three days per week. So I'm used to the remote work, uh, but now it was full-time remote uh, almost all the time for for a year or so. Um, so it was difficult for everyone, of course, to uh, get adjusted to this new way of working. The, the customer was also transis- transitioning from like a waterfall project model to safe, if you know what that is, scaled, yeah. agile yeah, yeah. framework yeah, enterprises. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then trying to hold all these meetings and, and uh, rituals virtually all of a sudden, right? And my employer was doubling its staff of developers in one year. So people were joining all the time, but they never visited the office and tried to make remote events virtually and so on. So it's been it's been a ride, um, right? Uh, but as of a month ago, Angela, uh, Angela, <laughs> Angela is always on my mind. Yeah. No, not Angela. That's good. Denmark. <laughs> Denmark has declared that COVID is no long, longer a threat to the Danish society. Uh, I don't know if I agree, but that's the way things are in Denmark right now. So all restrictions have been lifted. Uh, almost 75% of the population in Denmark is uh, vaccinated by now, yeah. which is great. Um, so everything's back to normal. Um, um, and for, for me, that means uh, coming to the office of my employer one day per week and one day per week at the customer's office. So the, the new team I'm on is actually... We're all working remote. We all live far away from the office, uh, but we meet that one time per week on Mondays. And, and you know, that's nice. It's nice to see people, especially when you're joining a new team to get to, to know them exactly. because so much gets, gets lost in sitting behind the screen or writing in the chat. Like you don't get to know people in the same way. You lose out on the, the water cooler conversations and, uh, learning about uh, people's backgrounds, uh, both professionally and and personally, so you need a bit of both. Yeah. But certainly, the the modern um, job market for us developers is going towards uh, offering remote positions uh, fully or at least partially. Like you're only supposed you only have to come into the office a few times per month or even per year. Yeah. So do you prefer work remotely or stationary? If I lived closer to the office, I I wouldn't have uh, as much of an issue working in the office uh, almost every day. It's just that my commute is so damn long that <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer to have days at home and I have kids, right? Uh, so... That was a good thing about the pandemic that I, I got, got to spend more time with my kids because I've been commuting so many hours for yeah, all of their life, basically. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm spending more time with my kids also now. Um, so, sorry, what was the question? I, I just yeah, it's, what, yeah. what do you prefer? <laughs> yeah, I'm just happy that I can get to spend more time with my kids. So what do I prefer? I prefer a mix, a good mix. Okay. of what makes sense to me, what makes sense to the employer and the customer and also my team. 
So a good mix of working remotely and on location sometimes. That's what I prefer. In case you are 100% remotely, what mm. would you miss most? It was missing out of the excitement of being surrounded by like-minded people, professionals, uh, people who are really passionate about their, their craft, their work, um, social events. I really miss, well, I guess that's not about the work, but I miss the conferences, the meetups, and now they're starting up again. I'm so excited about that. Um, uh, but yeah, about the work, it was, it's just the, the atmosphere of, of being surrounded by the people and, and the, the improv conversations about interesting technical stuff, because that's what happens in the office when you're yeah. surrounded by all these amazing people. And you don't call someone up on, on teams or Slack or whatever and say, Hey, let's discuss this new cool architecture or technology, or did you ever try that? And so on. But that seems to happen more at the office at least. So that's something I'm, I'm happy about getting back uh, to right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The last question. Uh, one thing that our listeners should remember from this podcast. Well, there's one thing I haven't mentioned, and I certainly have to mention that. I didn't write the book alone. Uh, my co-author is called Jakob Andresen. He's also a Dane uh, in, from Copenhagen. Um, so uh, it's a book by both of us. Uh, it's being released on Pact, Amazon, a lot of more uh, bookstores. I'm going to be doing uh, giveaways and discount codes, and I'm making sure you'll get one for this episode as well so that people can buy the book uh, uh, at a, a reasonable price. So about learning or remembering something from this podcast, I guess... <laughs> writing a book is a huge effort even though you think you've figured it all out uh, especially if you or not only if you decide to write about something you don't know anything about as it turns out I thought I knew enough that it wouldn't be too much of a task but let me tell you I, I take so much pride in my work that I've just been researching and researching coming up with examples so that you can get a lot of value for money in a reasonably short book for a reasonable price. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing, Lars. I wrote two books and I know it, how it works. So yeah, exactly, searching, searching and searching and testing, testing and testing and then writing. That's how it looks like. Okay, thank you so much for sharing uh, interesting and valuable information Uh, with our listeners and I'm looking forward to see you in person and, and at Andy Poland and JS Poland conference. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Derek.